What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Retired to Hunt. Hey, man, it's episode one, baby. Let's go ahead and jump right into it, do a little introductory piece. So my name's Josh Walker, uh, former NFL lineman, played for five years, played for a handful of different teams. Uh, that's neither here nor there, but big hunter, lifelong hunter, will continue to be till they put me in a pine box. Let's go ahead and do a little background on that. So uh, came from East Tennessee, real small town little place called Ray County, Tennessee, Spring City to be exact, Yellow Creek to be very, very exact. But uh, yeah, came up hunting since I was a very, very young kid. You know, it started with the squirrels and the rabbits and, uh, you know, bass fishing. I just, I've been in the country. I love the country. That's where I live to this day. That's where I'll continue to live. But my point in saying that is, is is I've been at it for a while. I've had a passion for it for a while. Uh, You know, that obsession hit me at a very, very young age. But uh, like I said, grew up in East Tennessee, played high school football at Ray County, Ray County High School, uh, had a good solid career there. To be honest with you, it, it took me a while to uh, to develop. So I was a baseball player all the way up until the eighth grade. And I had a uh, my gym teacher who just happened to be the eighth grade, excuse me, the middle school football coach, hell of a football coach. He always did a nice job. His name's Jerry Cook. Uh Really, really talented guy. Uh, he just so happened to be teaching gym class, and we were walking laps in gym class, and he came up to me one day, and he said, hey, man, you ought to come work out for us. You know, start playing football. I'm like, man, I, I don't know about football. You know, I'm a baseball player. I don't know. So, I don't know. I kind of took it as a challenge because in my head, I thought, well, he, he thinks I can play. You know, I'm sure it was because I was a big kid, you know, but I'm like, well, let me try it out. So, I tried it out, and I absolutely hated it. Hated working out. It was terrible. I'd never worked out to that point. Absolutely hated it, but I just couldn't stop. Now, my folks, they they didn't push me one way or the other, you know, telling me to stop or keep going, whatever I wanted to do, but I kept going with it. And obviously, I'm glad I did. So, started playing in the eighth grade. So, you can imagine ninth grade, 10th grade. I mean, I'm still learning football, you know. Uh, I was still on JV, you know, my second year at at Ray County. Uh, It took me a while to develop. It just, it, it flat ass did, but, uh, Slow process. But anyway, I had a good solid high school career. Ended up uh, earning a scholarship to Middle Tennessee State University, which is where I played for five years. Actually ended up redshirting there. So still developing, you know, developing, developing. Uh, So had a a good career in college there at MTSU and went undrafted in 2014. Started out with uh, the Colts very briefly, got cut there. I think game two, went on to play for the Packers for two seasons, uh, went on to play for the Texans for a season and then finished up with two years in Jacksonville. It was a hell of a ride. It really was a lot of good times and there was some bad. I mean, y'all know how it is. It's work, you know, it's a lot of ebbs and flow, but I'll tell you what, it gave me a great start in life. Uh, I'm very happy, you know, looking back at my career and the things I did very, very happy with it. But, uh, as far as being able to hunt, I'll go ahead and start with college. Uh, you know, it was very, very difficult to find time to hunt. Obviously, uh, fortunately, uh, I had some some good buddies that were actually from that area, that Middle Tennessee area, which was about two and a half hours west of where I was from, uh, northwest of where I was from, right in the middle of Tennessee, not too far from Nashville. A uh, couple guys, uh, Tom Campbell, Chase Pennycuff, they uh, they're actually natives of that that Middle Tennessee area. So I was fortunate enough when I could find time to be able to go hunt their family land. So I was very very. Uh, uh, happy to be able to do that and very thankful to be able to do that actually chase pennycuff he's actually up and coming uh outdoors influencer if you will his uh his ig handle is stained arrow y'all go ahead and go follow him really really good dude uh you know and like i said i'm very thankful for him for uh being able to hunt his family's land back in college because you know i'm sure you guys know there's not a whole hell of a lot of public land in the state of tennessee there's not and a lot of it is accessed by the river, which I didn't always have a boat. I ended up getting a boat later in college, obviously a used junker. And, uh, you know, I was able to do some crappie fishing and bass fishing and stuff like that in college in the summer and stuff. So it was a cool deal. And then when I got to the league, it was the same way. I mean, it was tough to find time to be able to hunt. The way our schedule was structured in the season, uh, Tuesdays were our off day, okay? So my first two years, um, I would always go work out on the off day why because they still take attendance even though it's an off day okay but the older i got the more i was like you know what listen you know the older you get when i say the older you get the more years in you know you kind of feel as though you can talk more to the coaches and so on and so forth and express yourself and 
you know, I just tell the strength coaches, it's like, look, man, I, I've got to have this Tuesday to go get on the water and hunt ducks or something. I, I need that, you know, that recovery, that mental recovery, physical recovery. I mean, it's a sanctuary, as you guys know, to be able to uh, be out there chasing ducks or catching redfish, catching flounder, whatever it may be. So my Tuesdays became, you know, being able to get into the woods. And I was very thankful of that. But, uh, you know, my whole point in saying that is there was very little time to be able to hunt uh, while I was playing football. Obviously, football season is in the fall, so it was very difficult to find time. But one thing I was able to do was hunt late season ducks. Uh, you know, actually, the year I retired, which was after the 2018 season, a couple of buddies of mine, uh, Logan Cook, Brandon Linder, and uh, Jeremy Vunovich, I actually have my truck loaded down with pretty much all my belongings because I was leaving Jacksonville for good, headed to Colorado where uh, my girlfriend and I, we had just got a house. So uh, I had all my belongings with me, including my boat. So uh, I told the boys, I'm like, man, let's go hunt Arkansas. Uh, this was actually my second time being able to hunt Arkansas. But anyway, I was like, let's go hunt Arkansas. You know, let's go to Stuttgart, uh, you know, duck and rice capital of the country, world, whatever it is. So we meet up in Arkansas, got a nice Airbnb. It was insane right behind their airbnb there was a giant uh cornfield and huge feed of snows and blues and ducks and greater canada geese lessers i mean it was an incredible feed so i end up calling the uh the property owner i'm like hey man uh you think we'd be able to hunt that that piece behind your your place and he's like nah that's it's a big big time lease huh? you probably can't hunt it so we were pretty bummed about that but Obviously, I had planned out some places to go hunt public and also actually had leased out a field. So uh, the first time I got to hunt, I was by myself because the boys didn't get there until the next day. I want to say it was the time frame. So I had a bunch of uh, snow goose decoys, not as many as I have now, but I probably had 35 dozen or so snow goose decoys. And I had that lease field and I didn't know shit from soup when it come to goose hunting at that point. Uh, honestly, I probably still don't when it comes to snow goose hunting because I've never done good shooting snow geese, but I sure as hell got the equipment to go do it. But uh, I'm laying in that field by myself, middle of nowhere, Arkansas. I mean middle of nowhere, Arkansas. And I lay there from, I don't know, I was setting up at 2, 3 a.m. just because I had so much stuff to go set up. And any of you guys that's ever hunted out there, you, you already know uh, – Late January, it's greasy, nasty, muddy mess. So I had my four-wheeler with me, and I rode it out there with the sled. And there's mud on all my shit. I mean, it was a mess, but I got all that stuff set up, and I didn't have an e-collar or anything like that, which obviously I didn't have an e-collar because you can't use them in the regular season. But anyway, got all my socks set up. All I had was socks and a handful of full bodies. And I'm laying there with my snow goose call that I don't know how to blow. And, I mean, I saw tens of thousands – I might be being conservative on that bird number. Tons of geese. The geese were there. My knowledge and skill level was not. Uh, I think I had enough, uh, you know, as far as the rig went. I think I had enough decoys. I mean, 30 dozen not a ton in regards to a snow goose set. But uh, it was enough that at least those small groups should have broke down. But they sure as hell didn't. But anyway, so the boys finally get in town and, uh, we actually, first we hunted some private, we hunted a small puddle on that same piece that I had hunted snow goose, snow geese on. It was a little pit and a little puddle of water. And I think we scraped out a handful of teal or something. Another beautiful morning. I mean, just being in Arkansas, you're going to see stuff every day, right? You're going to see those birds. It's all about, can you do enough to break them down? But, uh, we scraped, scraped out a handful of teal and, uh, we ended up hunting the timber, obviously those green tree reservoirs. Uh, for a couple of days and it's crazy some of the laws and, and regulations they have and I understand it I mean because that place gets pounded you know a lot of those places you've got to be out of the woods by noon it's either 11 or noon I can't remember but anyway we pounded a couple mallards in the timber you know just had a hell of a time cooking breakfast on the boat it's just a hell of a time with the boys being in the woods being in new territory uh, I, I can't wait to get back there and, and do Arkansas right I'd love to to get on some birds there on public or private. I really don't care. I'll be honest with you. You know, I used to be a public land purist. Uh, you know, oh, you're out in private? Oh, yeah. well, why don't you do it the hard way? Listen, that's ridiculous, all right? I mean, I, I really don't care. If I can find some private, I'm going to hunt private. That's just the way it is. But anyway, uh, my point in saying all this story was is I was able to hunt some, some ducks in the NFL because 
you know, obviously if we don't go to the Super Bowl, which I never was fortunate enough to be able to make it that far, I did go to the AFC Championship game uh, once. Was it once or twice? No, twice. Once in 17 with the Jags. And then once in 15 or 16 with the – excuse me, in 16 with the Texans and then 2014 with the Packers, but I never did go to the Super Bowl. But anyway, I say all that to say there was some duck hunting opportunities because a lot of times, you know, most states, they go well into January as far as duck season goes. But in saying that, obviously, for in most places, especially public land, those ducks have been whacked at, you know, come January 15th. I mean – you got to really be on your shit to uh, break birds down that time of the year, which which I've done. You know, we, I've had some good times. I've had some bad times on the marsh, but uh, I do love duck hunting. For a while, I think that was my favorite thing to do. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to take birds in 14 different states across the Union. I really, really love duck hunting. Uh, I started that at a very, very young age. And honestly, I think that's why I'm a, a decent elk caller is I've been calling ducks for, for decades. I, I really enjoy being able to to be sitting in that blind or even just standing waist deep in the, in the marsh and, and being able to read that duck's body language and be able to coax him to coming in. Because if you've never done it, it, you know, I'm not saying a bad caller can't call in a duck, but to do it with efficiency, it takes a lot of practice, not only learning that call, but learning the ducks. Uh, but again, I, I really, really loved hunting ducks, but, uh, I was able to do some duck hunting, not a lot of deer hunting. I did happen to, uh, Scrape at a couple deer in college, uh, thanks to my buddy Jeff Janis and a couple other private landowners uh, in Green Bay. Killed a couple deer in Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay is awesome, man. If you, if you guys haven't been there, you ought to go check it out. They got some fine duck hunting, too. Absolutely. They got some really, really good duck hunting. But anyway, uh, I really love this multi – like I said, I, I was able to kill – I've killed 14 different states as far as duck hunting goes. I love – hunting new states. I don't know what it is. Something about that new adventure, something about the new territory, that new water, the new boat ramp, the new hotel. Uh, it's just something about it. I, I really love it. But, uh, you know, I guess I say all that to say pretty limited hunting opportunities for me while I've been playing football. It was crazy. I remember the year that I, uh, after I retired, that first fall that I got, it was so weird. I felt like every day there was something I need to do, right? Because I'm just not used to having a fall. I'm not used to having a summer. I'm used to having, you know, I guess you'd call it a, sp a spring. You know, there's the off season. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I just recently started turkey hunting. So, you know, that spring was very underutilized for me from a hunting standpoint when I was playing because, shit, I used to make fun of turkey hunting. Man, you spend that much money and time on a damn bird? Uh, come on, man. You know, and but I am in love with turkey hunting. I've been doing it for two years. I've been fortunate enough to knock out four or five different states i am in love with hunting turkeys what i mean just a i got a lot more respect for the animal now i think it's what it is uh but turkey hunting's great but i'll tell you what guys uh i think that'll do it for the introductory piece what i want to do on this episode is just tell you a couple stories about some of the western stuff that i've been able to do since uh since i retired and this is just going to be the tip of uh of the trips that i've been on but uh we'll go ahead and start with these couple Let's go ahead and dive in. I'm going to go ahead and start with this antelope hunt. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit about antelope. So, you know, I finally got the urge to go down there and hunt those things. The, well, I guess it was a year after I retired the next year. But anyway, so I go down, we'll call it southern Colorado, go down there, load the camper up. I'm trying to get antelope. So a lot went into where and why I went where I went. So... Honestly, I got on Onyx, you know, an electronic mapping system, got on there, and I wanted to find big tracks of public, but more importantly, I wanted to find water, because I knew I wanted to try to set water. Now, I found a track of land down there, and I was marking every water tank. Boom, water tank, water tank, water tank, water tank, water tank. Now, in this state, in Colorado, the regulations are 30 days before the start date of the season, you can get your blind down there and have it out, Right. Why do you want to do that? You know, get those animals used to that blind. Now, I'm not saying you can't throw out a blind on Monday and kill antelope Tuesday. It's been done. Don't get me wrong. But I have a hard time believing that it doesn't help to have that blind out as long as you can. So that's exactly what I did. So that season started August 15th, which still today, I believe, is the start time. So, you know, in J July, I started driving down there 
putting out blinds, running cameras, and I was going down there every week. It's just under four hours south of where I live. So it was kind of involved as far as travel time and so on and so forth to get down there and do this. But I knew that's what it was going to take to get something on the ground. So I start going down there, running blinds and and running cameras. And I get really, really uh, fired up about this one particular spot. This water tank was off the beaten path. Uh, And by the way, the terrain down there is insane. Just deserty, hot as hell, well over 100 degrees in the day. I mean, it's I guess some people call it the Badlands. I mean, it's it's pretty, uh, pretty gnarly terrain down there. So anyway. Kind of fall in love with this one spot. I got two blinds out. My other blind, I'm not getting anything on camera. And actually, on this particular blind, I was getting uh, does and bucks, but nothing really, nothing really crazy as far as uh, you know a mature buck goes or anything like that. But a lot of activity. I didn't really care if I killed a mature buck. I just wanted a buck. Now I had to kill a buck because the way that we uh, we do our season structure here for archery antelope, I want to say it's the first two weeks it's buck only. And then it kind of transitions over to either sex. So I thought I was going to kill an antelope, but I had to kill a buck. So the biggest thing for me is I need a buck. I need five inches of horn, right? So uh, I was fired up to see those those bucks on camera. Now, the next week where I went down there, which was the week before season opened, that particular water hole that I was all fired up about, there was dead bugs and dead birds and just it was it was disgusting in that in that water hole. And it wasn't like that the week before. So I knew something was up. I'm like, I don't know if somebody put these things here, if this water's tainted, but I'm like, I don't see an antelope coming up to get a drink out of this water tank. So I made the executive decision to move that particular camera as well as that blind. So honestly, I didn't have a whole, whole lot of backup plans, but the backup plan that I did have was somewhat unorthodox, I guess. So as soon as you come in that unit, right off the road, not very far, maybe several miles in, but it's probably 500 yards from the road. There's a tank and I would see goats there every time I passed by. Now, were they bucks? No, but they were antelope. So I'm like, why don't I try it? You know, there's does coming here. At some point, there's got to be bucks coming here. So I uh, set my blind up on that uh, that water hole that wasn't far from the road and put my camera up. So I roll into camp the evening of the day before the day before season. I know that's a mouthful, but... So I'm in there essentially about two days early. So I go and check my cameras and stuff. And I was pretty fired up about the roadside water hole. And uh, there was nothing on camera. So I wasn't so fired up anymore. But I'm like, man, I've seen them there every time I've drove in here. They've been there. I don't know if it's the camera was malfunctioning or they just flat ass wasn't in there. So I'm like, I'm going to put all my eggs, not all my eggs, but I'm going to start here if nothing else. So start hunting and. Uh, so actually let me, let me tell you about kind of my camp spot. So the rules and regs in that particular unit, uh, it's not unit wide. It's just for that particular area I was hunting. You can only be so far off the road when you, if you're pulling a camper down there, you can't just pull your camper wherever you want off road. If that makes sense, you got to be in certain proximity of the road. So I've got my camper pulled off a couple feet off the road. I'm sure people are riding by like, who is this dumbass with his friggin uh with his camper like 800 yards from the water hole he ain't gonna kill shit yeah well hide and watch so keep hunting uh or start hunting and day one climb in my blind hey also let me preface all this by saying if you do put your blinds up before season there's nothing legally stopping anybody from hunting out of your blind does that make sense so literally if you get out there at seven in the morning which you, you should be out there earlier than that anyway you get out there seven in the morning and there's two guys sitting in your blind. They got every right to that blind. Now, being the asshole that I am, if they weren't going to move, I'd probably take that blind, pull the stakes up and pull it off from over top of them. That's just what it is. You're not going to hunt out of my blind. Are you kidding me? Anyway, day one, uh, I climb in the stand before dark and I don't see anything until about 10 a.m. But at 10 a.m., a doe comes in and I was fired up because this is the first pronghorn I've ever seen up close. So, I'm looking at this thing and just trying to study how these things move and how weary they are and also how small they are. They're really small-bodied animals. So that thing comes up to the water, and my blind's about 28 yards from the water tank, and she comes directly facing in. So she's on the opposite side of the water tank from the blind looking directly at me in the blind as she's drinking. 
You know, she'd get a drink, get a drink, look around, look around, look around, get a drink, scan, scan, get a drink, scan, scan. As she's drinking, just so weird. It was just super cool to see that thing up close and, you know, in its natural habitat. It, it was a very cool deal. Their eyes are huge. Uh, obviously, they're super, super fast animal. I want to say they're the second fastest land animal on Earth. Uh, they got some of the best eyesight in the animal kingdom. It's a super, super formidable opponent, if you will. So, uh, day one went by. Like I said, I saw her about 10, 11 a.m. and super fired up to see her. She walked away. She had no clue I was there. Uh, didn't see anything the rest of the day. Sat the whole 13 hours. It was miserable. About 112 degrees. The biting flies were awful. Uh, there's tarantulas. It was a bad deal. <clears throat> so, the second day, climb in, same time. Uh, actually, let me go back. So, that night, just like most of the nights when I was down there, was miserable. So I had a pop-up, have a pop-up trailer camper, and, uh, you know, the, the walls are canvas, right? So those 50-mile-an-hour wind gusts they get down there in the desert at night, you ain't sleeping through the loudness of those walls just popping back and forth. It was terrible. So I climbed in my truck, and I'm a big dude, man. There ain't no truck that's going to be comfortable for me to sleep on the inside of it. So, I mean, I was getting 20 minutes of sleep here and there. And Anyway, long story short, made for a pretty – uh pretty miserable next day so i climb in there before daylight and uh thank god nobody was in my blind and again nothing until 10 11 10 or 11 a.m all of a sudden i got more goats coming i'm like sweet more does uh and some young youngsters came in and they got a drink and they left i was like that was freaking awesome and uh so i sit the rest of the day and i guess it was 5 6 p.m and let me let me tell you how my blind set up so again this is pancake flat country so you cannot just have your blinds wide open all the way around you. You ain't going to kill nothing. I can't say you won't kill nothing. It's going to be very difficult for you to kill like that. So I got all my blinds completely closed except for the blind in front of me. And I got about a foot gap, you know, that I very carefully calculated, you know, for my bow height, riser height, and all that, where the arrow was coming out of, of where that hole needed to be. So that's the only hole I've got open. So I'm sitting there at 5, 6 o'clock. And this buck had slipped in from behind me. So I didn't even see him. You know, the wind's blowing. You can't hear anything. Obviously, you know, I couldn't see him. And all of a sudden, he picks his head up. He's between me and the water tank. So I start, man, it was insane. So I started shaking like a puppy shit in peach pits. It was insane. The thing was like 15 yards away. Uh, Big old buck. He actually turned out to be, ah, I ain't going to give it away. So big old buck. So, uh, you know, I go to draw, draw my bow back. Didn't get caught. I'm like, this is about to happen. And now here's my biggest mistake. I put the mesh up over my shooting hole. Bad idea. We'll never do it again. I was shooting a Rage Broadhead, right? Mechanicals in that mesh do not mix. I mean, I don't care if I was shooting iron wheels. I'm not shooting through mesh anymore. It's just not going to happen. So shot through the mesh, arrow, crazy arrow flight. As soon as it hit the mesh, it opened up. It was crazy. The goat ran off like... He just got shot in the ass with an arrow or something. I'm like, God, dog, I hope I didn't hit him. So I pulled my binos up. He don't have any blood spots on him. He stops about, I don't know, three quarters of a mile away, and he's looking around, and I'm looking at him through the binos, and I don't see any blood. He goes to feed, and I'm like, okay, well, good thing is, is I missed him. So uh, that was the evening of day two. So day three rolls around, climbing the stand, didn't see anything on day three. So the whole morning went by, and actually – Middle of the day on day three, I drove into town about 30, 45 minutes away and sat in the AC for an hour, hour and a half, talked to my buddy Brandon Linder on the phone about all the stuff that went on and the encounter that I had the night before. Cool deal. So climbed back in the stand about 2, 2.30 and uh, didn't see anything the rest of that night. And on my way back to the stand, or excuse me, on the way back to my camper, I take a step all of a sudden, <laughs> prairie rattler, two foot away. In the strike position, you got to be kidding me. It's pitch black dark. I'm walking. I'm navigating by my phone light. Dumbass didn't bring a headlight in there, so that's on me. But this thing just looks angry. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. My camper is literally, I don't know, 15 yards away. I'm like, God, dog, do I shoot this thing? Well, all I had was my 10 millimeter. I'm like, well, I'm not going to shoot a whole clip trying to kill this frigging snake in the middle of the dark, so on and so forth. So I just kept going, let him slither off on his own way, but... That was a long night, man. I mean, obviously, I'm already shaking my uh, sleeping bag out because the tarantulas, you know, you literally see five, six tarantulas slowly crossing the road, 
every morning you'll see them when you walk past their holes. They'll slide back off in their holes. I mean, it's crazy. There's also these insects called tarantula hawks. If you get a second, just look up a tarantula hawk. It's supposed to be top five worst sting in the animal kingdom. I had no clue. They were flying in my blind. I was swatting them with my hat. I thought it was like a big dirt dauber or something, but bad deal. Didn't get stung, so very happy about that. Anyway. So uh, that was day, day three. Day four rolls around. Uh, very, very little movement. Very, very little action. I actually went to town again in the middle of the day. Sat in AC. Got a Subway, Snickers bar. It was cool because I'm just telling you, 115 degree heat. You can imagine what it's like sitting in a, a, a pop up blind. It's that's black on the inside. I mean, it's literally like you're sitting in the oven. It's miserable. Uh, so, all right, grand finale, day five. So. The morning of day five, go in there, don't see anything. Well, you know, that's probably not a good sign. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit all day today. So finally about six o'clock that day, I'm sitting there and I actually brought my camera in that day, set it up on a tripod, brought my little Sony Handycam in, I'm going to film. So I've got the uh, the Handycam pointed at the right side of the water tank, which is where the goats were coming in from. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden here comes some does and I start to get fired up because it's about half a dozen of them. I'm like, there's got to be a buck. They're drinking, drinking, drinking. They probably drink for 10 minutes. All of a sudden, here comes a buck. I'm like, dude, that's a good buck. That might be that buck from the other night. Good, solid buck. I'm fired up. So he gets into like, I don't know, 40 yards, and I go to draw on him. He saw it and didn't like it, and him spooking, spooked the doe. So they spooked to the left side of the tank. I'm like, dude, did I just screw myself out of my chance? So they bump off, not too far, maybe 100 yards from the left-hand side of the tank, and like I said, I had that camera pointed to the right-hand side of the tank. So here come the does in. They calm down. They come in. They're drinking the water. But that buck is just so weary. I mean, he had take a step, look at the blind. Take a step, look at the blind. Take a step, look at the blind. Well, he did that a little too much. He got to 32 yards. So draw back again. He's at 32. Put that thing right behind his shoulder. Smoke him. It was incredible. Almost got it on camera. Like I said, but the camera was filming the right-hand side of the tank. It came to the left-hand side. Now, I was able to grab my, my camera after I shot, pulled the camera up, but it was so shaky. You know, all you hear is, I smoked him, I smoked him, I smoked him. <laughs> uh, super cool moment. I watched the, uh, you know, the goat did like the death circle. He honestly ran like 250 yards with a hole in his heart. Uh, I've never seen an animal run so fast. And he ran towards my camper, you know, so... I got to say a big F you to all those people that was probably riding by saying, who's this dumbass sitting out in that blind? I know that's his camper. Yeah, well, I just smoked a 75-inch goat right here by my camper. Anyway, uh, I was able to you know, uh, Snapchat my buddy, Brandon Linder, show him that goat. Because that was a huge moment for me, man. That was my first Western big game animal by myself, five-day hunt, hot as hell, got it done. So, uh Anyway, from that point, I had work to do, right? So I need to get some pictures of this uh, of this goat. And I also knew, hey, the guys that say that the meat isn't any good, to me, I'm thinking they probably been riding around with that thing in the back of their truck, showing it off in the heat. Well, listen, I need to get the hide off this thing. So I'm running with this goat, got him by the horns, and I'm running with this thing, just <sighs> breathing heavy, Slide him under the fence, go get the truck, pull it around, throw him in the back of the truck, go to pull through the gate to go to the water tank because I was trying to kill two birds with one stone. What I mean by that is I wanted to pull right up to my blind because there's all kind of crap in the blind, right? I mean, chair, cooler, iPad, trash, all kind of stuff in that blind. So I was able to uh, get that cleaned up real quick, literally just pulled the blind up, grabbed all the stuff, threw it in my truck. Uh, oriented my truck in a in the way that I wanted it to be to get the picture, put the tripod out, put the camera on it, got some cool self-taking photos of that goat. It was awesome. Now, obviously, I got to get this goat cut up, so this is kind of a crazy deal. So, obviously, sun's going down, the wind's picking up. I've got the, the goat laying on the tarp with the tag end of the tarp lifted up in my left hand into the wind, trying to keep the wind off of this goat to try to keep some of the dust down. And I'm doing some pretty precise work because I caped the thing out because I knew I was going to shoulder mount him. So I'm doing pretty some pretty precise work with my right hand, holding the tag into that tarp up, getting him cut up by myself in the desert, middle of the night, and uh, finally get him cut up. But in the process of doing that, I go to leave. I'm all fired up, hook up to the trailer. I can't find my phone. You got to be kidding me. I look everywhere, can't find my phone, go back to where I took the pictures, cannot find my phone. You got to be kidding me. So 
kind of bittersweet at that point. So uh, about a week later, I get a phone call from my mom saying, hey, somebody's got your phone. You know, they want to try to get it back to you. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, is this a scam or something? How, how did this happen? So long story short, uh, I get in touch with the guy. And he's like, hey, man, I'm coming up from the Antelope unit where I found it. He's like, can you meet me in Denver? I'm like, hell yeah, I can meet you in Denver. So I go down to Denver and meet him. Dude wouldn't accept any money, anything. Just a salt of the earth, coolest guy. We're friends to this day. Actually, he drew a White Sands Missile Base Oryx tag, and I was able to accompany on that hunt, which would accompany him on that hunt, which was awesome. You know, to be able to see wild, free ranging Oryx, you know, in central New Mexico, it was incredible to be able to go on that hunt. And he killed a bull, and it was very cool to be able to see one up close. But, uh, you know, I've, I've made some good buddies, you know, just being out in the woods. I've had a lot of good encounters with people on public land in the woods. Now, in saying that, I've had some bad ones too now. And to be honest with you, most of the bad ones happen in the duck marsh for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I've had some some bad, bad encounters in the duck marsh. But uh, obviously that was a very, very positive outcome from that one. A guy by the name of Calvin Anderson, super cool guy. Uh, you know, and he brought, I mean, who think about that? He found my phone. He wasn't thinking, how can I get money out of this? Maybe there's something on here where I can make some money. Nah, he's like, how do I get it back to this dude? Which to me, like that, that really opened my eyes. And it's like, damn, I don't know if I would have done that. I mean, I mean, that, it, it was, it was a cool deal, but anyway, got him all cut up, got home, got him, uh, got him all processed. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. But I'll tell you what, looking back at it, I think some of the things that I contribute the success that I had to is really taking that time preseason and getting on Onyx, getting on a mapping system and figuring out those water holes and figuring out the trails in and out. Uh, honestly, I would get on there and I would transfer the longitude latitude over to Google Earth. And sometimes if you zoom all the way in, you can see the antelope. I mean, it's it's incredible. There's all kind of tools that can help you out. But also, I contribute uh, the success to going out there and putting boots on the ground and getting those, uh, getting those blinds out as early as I did. You know, those those antelope were pretty, they were pretty uh, comfortable with the blind being there. Don't get me wrong, they were looking at it, but uh, they were pretty comfortable with it. But uh, yeah, I think those were the two things that that really helped me out. Now looking back at it, I would probably stay at a hotel if I ever hunt that unit again because it was miserable, absolutely miserable being in that camper. Because most nights I ended up just sitting in my truck. Uh, getting 20 minutes of sleep here and there it was a bad bad deal uh so that'd be some of the things that i would change i would definitely stay at a hotel i am not i would not camp there again for sure it was miserable another thing i would tell people is make sure you know your rules and regs because i mean i was sitting in the camper one day i think it was middle of the day day two all of a sudden i look over and there's a silverado parked beside my blind i got two does out in front of me bedded under some chola cactuses i'm like what is going on it was a cpw you know, he just checked me and so on and so forth. Super cool guy. Uh, he actually gave me a ride back to camp because I was getting ready to go to town anyway and give me a subway. But super cool guy. My point is, you just never know, man. So you got to stay on your P's and Q's uh, in regards to the rules and regulations. But uh, you know what? I don't know how I missed this part of the story. So that the, the buck that I shot the second night shot at through the mesh, that was the same buck that I killed day five. So I clipped the top of his neck. He had a scar right through the top of his neck. I guarantee you that was that broadhead. Uh, but that was that same buck. Nice buck, about 74 and some change, 75 inches. Really, really good buck, especially for my first one. Public land, do it yourself. Didn't nobody tell me shit. I just went down there and did it. Uh, so, you know, it can be done. I will say this. If you want to do it, <sighs> sitting water is a testamental fortitude now. It is not for the faint of heart. I've done a lot of, a lot of difficult shit. But I'll be honest with you, sitting 13 hours a day for multiple days, it is not enjoyable, uh, and there's really no way around it. I mean, I had frozen water bottles, you know, cold water bottles. Uh, I had a cold towels dipping in the, the the melting ice on my neck. I was in my boxers. I had my iPad with movies. Uh, but it is a miserable deal. You're literally sitting in an oven. Um, so, uh, like I said, it's it's a testamental fortitude, but you can kill goats that way. That, that is a fact. There's also, you know, you can spot and stalk them, which is what I did last year in uh, northwest Nebraska didn't have any luck kind of for six days was on stalks every day and it's beautiful country out that way rolling grassy country but man it does not lend itself to spot and stalk antelope hunting not that it can't be done I'm not saying it's impossible but uh, I couldn't get it done 
But uh, yeah, guys, that's some of the things. Like I said, uh, that antelope hunt, just an incredible memory, incredible animal, tasty animal. Oh my goodness, that meat was so good. The only downside to antelope, like Randy Newberg always says, is uh, because they're not the size of an elk. That's about the only downside of that meat. So again, I've heard people say they taste like shit, but man, that one I had was outstanding. And uh, I don't know, he's probably a three-year-old buck or so, nice little buck, got him shoulder mounted. But uh, yeah, that was my antelope tail, guys. Again, it can be done, complete beginner, just did the research beforehand, went in, put the time in, and got it done. So I don't know why anybody else couldn't do it. So if you want an antelope hunt, load up, whatever state you're in, whatever state you want to go to, learn the rules and regs, get you a blind or not, whatever you want to do, and just uh, go get some boots on the ground, get it done. All right, guys, so after antelope season came and went, uh, you know, obviously elk was coming up, right? So I'll be honest with you, I didn't know enough about elk to to go elk hunting that year. That sounds very excusey, but to be honest with you, I was still of the belief that, man, you know, it's going to take me 10 years to be able to hunt elk, you know, or, you know, I'm not in shape, which I was not in enough shape. Uh, but my point is, is I was not ready to elk hunt. So I was like, you know what? Let me go do what I know. Let me go on a uh, a duck hunt somewhere I've never hunted before. So I loaded up all my shit, and I went to Kansas. I went to central Kansas, and I'm not going to say where. You probably know there's a big old marsh there in central Kansas, a public marsh. And, and I loaded up my boat, went out there by myself for five days. It was incredible. So it started out. I dropped my stuff off at the, I think it was a... Uh, days in or some little some little hotel in town and i rode there get into town there in the afternoon so i go and drop all my stuff off at the hotel and i'm like you know what i'm gonna go out and do a little scouting but the thing is this season was open so i've got my gun too so the way that i structured this trip is opening weekend was the previous saturday so i left on monday so you know what let me let those the weekend guys and the opening day guys get it out of their system. Hopefully there's less pressure. So I got there on a Monday afternoon. And like I said, dropped all my stuff off at the hotel and I beat feet to the marsh and get to the marsh, get the boat in the water. And there's some pressure there, but not anything like what I was expecting. So I get the boat in the water and obviously I've been on my mapping system and saw the, be honest with you, the whole thing's pretty shallow, but, uh, Honestly, some of that stuff that you see on the map of this particular marsh, it looks like it's not water at all. It's just weeds, but it's just really shallow water. So really, it was just a scouting mission, right? I'm driving around, you know, where am I hearing the shots from? Where am I seeing the boats? Where am I seeing the trucks? So I pull up in this little bay and uh, I set up. I throw out a couple uh, teal decoys and put out a spinner and uh, I end up killing two teal that night. But I had heard guys just melting their barrels to the north i'm like damn maybe i need to be there in the morning so i get there early as i can the next morning and uh i get in that particular spot and they must have must have left on monday or something because i had it all to myself beautiful beautiful morning i had i don't know maybe five dozen blue wing teal decoys out five spinners pretty good setup for just a one-man rig uh so get my stuff set up and sun's coming up there's already teal flying all around there's some shovelers flying around and i was shocked that i had it to myself i actually had to look at the rules and regs to make sure i was able to be in there but there was some other guys around shooting but i had this particular spot to myself so right at shooting light boom 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 kill two i'm fired up well, it was pretty quiet from there on. Uh, so I make a, a little breakfast. I've got my two burner stove on the bow of the boat, uh, cook up some some bacon, some eggs, cook up the toast and the bacon grease. I've got my iPad on the boat with first take playing real low in the background. So I'm listening to my sports by myself. And you guys know Kansas. There's a strong sustained south wind about 12, not strong, about 12 mile an hour, just blowing consistently. And uh, it was just a beautiful morning. The reeds that I was in were super, super tall. I mean, literally, I had to to chop some down so I'd be able to see. I just pulled my boat up in the reeds, and I didn't have to anchor up or nothing because the reeds were so thick, you know, that it held the boat. And uh, honestly, I probably didn't even need to put my boat lined up, but I'm a stickler when it comes to a setup. So I just put the wind at my back and and put the blind up, and it was a hell of a time. I ended up killing uh, two more that day, but it was just a hell of a time. 
And just to go out to somewhere new like Kansas, I mean, I've only been through Kansas. I had never hunted it. But just to be it, because you hear Kansas, I mean, I feel like Kansas is synonymous with big bucks and waterfowl hunting and upland, you know. So I was like, I got to go check this out. So, you know, instead of being on the Elk Mountain, which looking back, I should have been hunting elk, but it's neither here nor there. But uh, I was sitting on my boat in central Kansas shooting blue wing tail. Uh, it, it was just an incredible time. So day two, actually, I guess you would call that day one. You know, I had the evening before that, but officially morning one, pretty good morning, knocked down some blue wings. It was great. Uh, so unfortunately, the next day went in the same spot and I got beat. I do not like that. I do not like getting beat. Uh, so I was pretty down on myself. Pretty, pretty angry about that. So I had to go in the spot blind, didn't pull the trigger, had another great morning. I mean, again, just sitting in that marsh, watching the day come alive, the things that you see out there when nothing knows that you're there, right? You see the morning come alive. You see the sun come up. There's things swimming by and flying by that have no idea you're there. So just being out there is incredible. You're just alone with your thoughts out there on that marsh, hearing the wind blow through the, the reeds and hearing the the mallards fly by or just hearing the whistling of the wings fly by just it was an incredible day even though i didn't pull the trigger so obviously i wasn't very happy about that so went back into the hotel and came back later that evening and still didn't kill uh so day two was kind of a wash day three i had my limit by 9 a.m it was it was an incredible day three and i went back to that that spot that uh, I got beat into the day prior, so I was able to get my limit that day. But all in all, I mean, it's duck hunting. You know, there's there's not a whole lot more details, to be honest with you, about the story. But I think the moral of that story is if you've got the desire to go and and hunt a new area, a new state, a new species, go do it, man. Don't get me wrong. it's It would probably be more safe if you have somebody else with you. But listen, if you know your shit from a safety standpoint, you know, you'll be fine. All right. You just there's no need to be in a big hurry, anything like that, because don't get me wrong. Even shallow water it's, it's dangerous. Right. So you just got to understand the danger that you're taking on and you got to be safe about it. You got to be smart about it and you'll be fine. I'm all about hunting solo. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes, you know, I'll lay down an animal solo and it's like. This is incredible, but man, I wish I had somebody here to to enjoy this with, you know what I mean? But in saying that, solo hunting's great because there is no asking questions of, hey, you think we should should move these uh the north side of these decoys this way? Hey, should we pull the spinners? Hey, should we change the way the boat is oriented? Hey, should we blah blah it's nah, it's it's on you. So any success that you come across, that's on you. When you fail, that's on you. And I ain't gonna lie, I, I like it that way. Uh but again, it is cool to have some company. But yeah, man, you know, if there's something you want to do, you got to go do it or else it may never get done. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing to pull from this is, man, if you want to go do something. You want to go experience a new state, a new species. If you can pull it off safely, go and do it. I mean, you don't need anybody with you. So, again, I had no experience with this area. I didn't know anybody within 800 miles of where I was hunting. You know, big black dude out there on a, on a 16 and a half foot ranger with a mud buddy flying through the swamp, you know, uh, but it was just a hell of a time. And I encourage anybody, like I said, if there's some some new species, some new wild place you want to go see, go and do it, man, or else it ain't going to get done. But uh, looking back at that trip, you know, some of the things that that I would have changed, I probably would have brought somebody just to be able to experience what I experienced, not from the standpoint of being able to shoot more birds, but just to to experience Kansas. Uh, it was just an incredible time out there on that marsh. Uh, and it, it was so cool that the days that I didn't find success, I wasn't really that mad about it. You know, uh, just being out there and being safe and cooking breakfast on the boat, so on and so forth. It was just, it turned out to be a hell of an adventure. Uh, also, you know, I think I would have brought a little more motion and I know some guys are guys oh, teal season. You don't need nothing. You can put Coke bottles out there. Yeah. Well, that's great. Like I said, I'm a stickler when it comes to my setup. So I think I would have brought a little more motion with me if I could go back and, uh, and, and do it again. But I think, uh, you know, some of the things I think that contributed to some of the success I had was being able to have the ability to make breakfast on that boat. Cause I think everybody knows that 
If you can sit out there and not get hungry, you're going to be able to stay out there a lot longer. You know, if you're sitting there hungry and all you're thinking about is breakfast, you're going to be out at 10 o'clock. All right. And that's just human nature. But I think being able to have a system, whether it's to be able to cook or be able to bring something in there, uh, I think that that goes a long way in being able to extend your hunt. And and I was able to bring that. It's something about cooking in the middle of nowhere, man. I don't know. It just does something for me, man. Like I said, sopping that toast in the bacon grease. I mean, incredible. Uh, another thing that I would say contributed to some of the success I had was choosing to stay in a hotel. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about roughing it. I'll do it. You know, nine out of 10 times I'll rough it. I don't give a shit. But I will say it is nice to be in a little now, albeit it was a little days in. It wasn't a Ritz or anything like that. But being able to have a nice mattress at night and have the AC blowing on me, you know, have the Internet, be able to make phone calls. uh, I think that was another thing that extended my hunt, having that that peace of mind of knowing, you know, at the end of that hunt, hey, I'm going to go back to the hotel. I'm going to have me a nice hot shower. I'm going to order me some good takeout food. Uh, I, I think that was a good decision that I made. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I could have brought the wall tent and the stove and been just fine, all that. But uh, I, I really like the fact that I, I chose to stay in a hotel because the wind was absolutely crazy. Another thing, before going out there, man, you got to shoot. You got to shoot your shotgun. Those teal are tough. As you know, you know, it, I mean, they're tiny birds and they're super fast. So don't get me wrong. You can leave your shotgun in in the case from January to September, and you could probably still kill a handful, but uh, I think you need to be out there shooting any, you know, you need to practice for any kind of bird, but especially stuff like teal and dove, because that's a whole different feat in itself to be able to hit those birds. But uh, all in all, the Kansas teal hunt, incredible. I'll do it again someday. I don't know about that particular marsh, but hopefully I can get on some private out there. But uh, I am all about pounding some public. But uh, moral of that story, man, go out, whatever you want to do, man, if it's feasible, go and do it. Fuck the excuses. Go out and do it. Uh, I had a hell of a time. I can't wait to go and do it again. All right, guys, let's talk a little elk. This is the grand finale. All right. This is this memory right here. It'll never leave me. All right. This was an incredible time. First elk. First time really getting after elk. You know, I thought that I finally gained enough knowledge to go out and try to put one on the ground and that's just what I did with the help of uh with the help of some good buddies. So let's walk it back and let me paint you a picture of where it started. So my good buddy Cody sent me this application for a special access permit up north. Now what that is is this permit gives you special access to hunt an area that's close to hunting typically. And there's only a handful of tags. Literally you can count it on one hand the amount of tags. So super, super low odds of drawing. So he sends me over this application about three weeks before it was due. And I kind of took a peek at it and I'm like, it ain't no way I'm going to draw this. Do I even waste my time and effort and money? So on and so forth. So anyway, a couple weeks went by and here it is the night before it's due. I'm like, you know what? Let me just put in for this thing. So I put in and the species they offer there is buck mule deer, uh, bull elk, uh, cow elk, and doe pronghorn. So I was like, all right, well, let me put in for buck deer and bull elk. So I did. About a week later, I get an email. It says, your application is unsuccessful for buck deer. I'm like, all right, well, it probably means I'm unsuccessful for everything. So about a day or two later, I get a call from the, I'm not going to mention who, but the blah, blah, blah Department of Natural Resources. I'm like, this has got to be what I put in for. So I answer, hello. Hey, this is officer such and such from the blah, blah, blah Department of Natural Resources. Uh, You know why I'm calling you? I'm like, I sure as hell hope so, man. <laughs> so, uh, I was all fired up, you know, did a lot of cussing and, you know, carrying on and hollering. I was just very, very fired up because I understand what type of tag did I just come across. I was super, super fired up. So drew the tag. This is before the primary draw. So a lot of time between there and the hunt. Reason they do that is just because I drew that special access permit, that's not all you need. You've still got to go in in the primary draw and draw that unit specific tag. All right. So thank God that tag is uh it was 100% draw odds so I was able to go in draw that with my second choice and still build a hunt and go hunt that badass hunt so I was fired up now I also knew I wanted to chase elk with my bow this year so obviously that tag was my a tag so let me give me a b tag a cow tag so I was hunting over the counter cows and uh 
with some buddies. And my God, did we get into elk, uh, particularly bull elk. Called in four or five elk into bow range. And sure enough, I'm standing there uh, with a cow tag in my pocket, which typical, right? Unbelievable. So you'll hear more about September's adventures on an upcoming episode. It was incredible. We got into all kind of elk in September. Awesome, awesome time. But back to the special access permit. So I ended up going up there and camping at a buddy's place. So I met the guy through Cody because Cody was kind of the liaison of his for renting out, excuse me, leasing out uh, a goose field that he has on his property. So I had leased out a goose field from this guy through Cody uh, up north. I don't know. I guess it was 2019 or so. I can't remember. A couple years ago. But anyway, I hit him up because he lives 15 minutes from where I was hunting. So I'm like, hey, man, you mind if I uh, put my tent up in your. Uh... So he's got a feedlot. He's got cattle. He's got a feedlot with like a windbreak. He's got kind of a like a carport looking deal with a roof on it. So I know how bad the wind is up there. Keep in mind, this is third rifle, late season hunting, cold weather in November. So I set my tent up, put the wall tent up. And uh, obviously, I couldn't run my wood stove because I would have burned his frigging roof. So pretty cold at night. Now, let me preface all this by saying I kind of spoke myself into sickness on this hunt. So when I drew that hunt, for some reason, that very day, I said, God, dog, there's a lot of time between here and there. I feel like something's going to happen to me. Like, this is just too good to be true. Something's going to happen to me. Sure enough, the day before the hunt, I'm throwing up. It's bad. I'm sick. I think I spoke it into existence. It was a bad deal. So anyway, I'm out there camping, and uh, it's kind of some crazy rules at this specific place. So you can't hunt the weekends. You can't archery hunt. You can't muzzleload hunt, but you can hunt. uh, I don't even think you can first rifle hunt. I think it's only second, third, and fourth. So I picked third. And uh, the reason they do the no weekends is because there's a lot of hikers in there and so on and so forth. So buddy Cody helps me come up a scout, and I'm sick as a dog. We climb up to this little ridge, and I'm literally in the process of puking. And I look over, and he's waving me over there. Get over here. Get over here. Sure enough, and I'm not kidding you, there was, I don't know, he was probably between 370 and 380, just an absolute once-in-a-lifetime bull. His his five and his six, they were both probably, God, dog, I don't know, 16 inches. I mean, just giant giant bull huge whale tails big force he had it all bull of a lifetime may never see one like that again anyway uh so obviously that's my target bull that's what i want to hunt so day one comes around uh was cody i think cody was with me day one and we saw some bulls early but that was it very very little activity for the rest of the day and then from there on i was by myself so that next day was nothing didn't see anything wind was ripping uh, honestly, I, I don't think I saw an elk until the day I killed the one. So let's fast forward to the day before the last day of the hunt. So very, very cold night, very, very cold morning. So when I get to the trailhead, my hat literally flies off my head as soon as I step out of the truck. So excuse me, out of the Jeep. I mean, it was probably not probably it was 20 degrees with probably a 20, 25 mile an hour sustained wind coming out of the north. So. I'm walking in there, and in my head, I'm like, this is ridiculous. You're not going to see anything. What are we doing? So I get in there two and a half miles, and I get to my spot before, right before the sun comes up. So I'm like, okay, well, at least we're here in crunch time, right? There's a good chance we're going to see something. So I'm laying down there looking up on this hill, and uh, for an hour, an hour goes by of, of shooting light, nothing. You got to be kidding me. Another hour goes by, absolutely nothing. What is going on? These elk have got to be here. So finally... About another 30 minutes goes by, and here comes a raghorn. He's silhouetted beautifully about halfway up this hill. I'm like, this is going to happen. I know he's not by himself. So finally, uh, another bull comes out. 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 And that 10th bull, he crested that hill. I saw that rack. He was looking dead on at me, and he was wide as could be. He ends up being the one I shoot. Anyway, he turns his head to the side, and I'm like, he's big, but he ain't that 370. He's a little shorter time. He was not that 370 bull, but I knew there was no way I could walk away from that thing. So I had my fingers crossed the bigger one was going to come out, but also knew that I'd be fired up to kill this thing. So I'm laying down there on my belly with uh, Cody. It was, was kind enough to let me use his Swaro spotter. I'm looking through the spotter. Now, neither one of us had a tripod, so I'm laying on my belly with the scope on my pack looking up at these things, which it still worked really well. Uh, I was able to very meticulously study those elk and find out which one was the biggest one. So those elk are 
stand in pretty, pretty, pretty close proximity of each other, and they're just feeding around, feeding around. And uh, so they start to move. They start to head towards private. I'm like, what's going on? Well, all of a sudden, the first one beds. I'm like, okay, cool. They're going to bed down. Sure enough, one beds down, two beds down. They all bed down. So I'm like, all right, I need to make my move. But I'm like, you know what? Let me take another minute to keep studying these things and know exactly where each bull is, right? To So that I can be more efficient with my stalk and get on the biggest one. So I'm studying these things, studying these things. Well, they start to stand up. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So they're heading towards private again. I'm like, God, dog, I do not want to watch these things walk out of my life. So thank God they stopped like 200 yards short of the private line and they bed down again. I'm like, okay, got to go. Pack up all my shit, get my bag together, get out of that draw I was in, and go around the mountain, get the wind exactly right. And it's, I mean, it is frigid, very clear. So you are, I mean, just super, super cold. So I go to climb up this mountain and I get up the first little roll and I get to the top and I've got to freeze because the second biggest bull in that the little bachelor group is staring right at me about 90 yards away, chewing his cud, looking right in my eyes. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to blow this whole thing out. About two minutes went by, what felt like half an hour, but stared at this bull, staring at this bull. He finally lays down. Let's go. So I climb down and uh, kind of adjust my stalk because now I know where the edge of these bulls are. He was the farthest one on the edge. So I kind of swing my circle a little wider, still got favorable favorable wind, and uh, I continue up this mountain and uh, get to the third roll. And I took my pack off, took my bino harness off because I knew this was it. I knew that once I got to the top of here, I was going to have pretty good visuals of the herd. So I get to the top and I'm prone last, I don't know, 10 yards till I get to the cusp of that hill. And sure enough, I see the rack of big boy. And I, I knew it was him because I'd laid down there and watched him for an hour and a half. My dad is him. So I'm like, okay, all he's got to do is stand up. Just stand up. So I had to put my index finger in my mouth because my hand was frozen. Couldn't feel it. I was laying there, had the safety on and just squeezing the trigger just to, to get the feel of it and literally could not feel it. So I got my finger in my mouth and uh, I'm just dry firing, you know, trying to get the feel of the trigger. And finally, he stands up. It only only about three minutes went by. He stands up. I'm like, all right, here we go. This is my chance. He just looks at me. You got to be kidding me. I shuck another one in. He hunches up and looks at me. I'm like, all right. Well, I hit him, but I don't think it was a hit that I wanted. So, shuck another one in. He hunches up again, looking right at me. And uh, I just, I felt bad. I'm like, he's not, that's not a mortal hit, I don't think. Just, I, I did not feel good at all about that hit. So, of course, that was my three shots. So, what do I have to do? I've got to go down, climb back down that hill Get in my bino harness, which is where my uh, my extra ammo is. I got to get in my bino harness. And uh, it was so hard to load that magazine because, number one, I was freezing, shivering. I was nervous. It was so hard to get those three bullets in. So, anyway, I finally get them in and uh, climb back up the hill. The bull's nowhere to be seen. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So, he had went about 50 yards, and uh, he was standing behind a big old boulder. Now, all I could see was his rack, from his rack to his nose, so just his head, really, and he was behind this big boulder, so I'm like, well, this is not good, so I laid there, and I'm just thinking, come on, big man, just step out, step out, step out. Well, 30 minutes goes by, and he don't move, so I'm like, I got to do something. I'm not going to lay there. He wasn't suffering looking, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of one of those deals where he was tilting his head back, trying to itch that spot with his horns type of a deal, but I knew he was hit, so I'm like, I got to finish him. So I go and uh, I put that big rock between me and him and I just start jogging up there, jogging up there. And I get to the to the base of that big boulder and there's a small rock at the base of it. So I stand on that rock, click my safety off, take a deep breath. I'm like, all right, this is it. Look up over that big boulder. He was probably two gun lengths away. I mean, it was insane. Just standing there looking away. I'm like, this is insane. So. Pull my gun up. Sure enough, my dumbass had my scope on 14 still. So all I can see is brown. So I just kind of take my head off the gun and kind of look down the barrel, try to put it in that last rib. He just looks at me and I duck. As soon as he looked back, I duck. Shuck another one in. I'm like, come on, dude, you got to get this done. Reach up. He's looking away again. Look down the barrel, put one in his neck. I hate that I had to do it, but hey, that's like they say, that's part of it. And it is part of it. So he hit the ground. It was super bittersweet. 
you know, but it was awesome because I know that that was a good bull, you know, and, and I know that I'm going to have to hunt very hard to kill a bigger bull than that. But I was fired up. But at the same time, as most hunt, you know, 99.9% of hunters, every time you shoot something, you want to make sure it's as ethical as it can be. And, and it's no different for me. I did not like that one bit. So, uh, anyway, got the elk finished and I'm just, I sat beside him, man, and just was looking at him, just, just so thankful, you know what I mean? That, that I was able to get him on the ground and I understand how much meat that's going to be and how delicious it is. And, you know, I kind of composed myself and I called my good buddy, Brandon Linder. We always, uh, FaceTime each other after we lay something down. I was able to show him that he was actually, uh, so he was, uh, actually still playing football at the time. He was the center for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He, uh, he was on the training table getting his ankles taped, getting ready for practice. He was going crazy because he knows, he understood the weight of that hunt and and how much that animal meant to me and how much time and effort and research and money that I'd put into uh, to trying to put that elk on the ground. So he was super fired up. Uh, it was a hell of a moment up there on the mountain, you know, to really take it all in. You don't really know. You know, you can watch as much YouTube and listen to as much podcast as you want, but until you climb a mountain, kill an animal, Cut it up, put it on your back, and carry it off. You don't know. You just you just don't you don't understand the weight of what you're doing. But anyway, that uh, that first evening, uh, it, it was super cool. You know, it was it's. I was a little bit uh, overwhelmed by the size of this thing on the ground, man. I mean, just a freaking big animal. So uh, I finally get to cutting on this thing, and I'm like, God, dog, this is gonna be a hell hike on the way back, which it was. So I get him cut up and. The first evening, I carry out a bone-in front and rear, a back strap, and some scrap meat. Uh, pretty much, essentially, the whole one side, you know what I mean? If he's laying on his side, pretty much everything from that side. So, I mean, I, I was heavy. I mean, probably 150, 160 pounds, uh, and I was already 280 pounds. So, that was a big unit coming off that mountain, <laughs> uh, and it was miserable. I mean, if you're not mentally strong, first of all, you know, don't get me wrong, I could have did a, a smaller load, but... I mean, packing that much weight, if you ain't a mental, if you're not mentally strong, you're not going to do it. Because literally every five feet, you're like, ah, man, I sure could lay down right now. Yeah, no shit you could lay down. Uh, but you just got to keep going or you'll never get back to the truck. So anyway, getting back to the truck, incredible time. Uh, I actually ended up having to leave. I left my gun up there, left Cody's spotter. It looked like a yard sale the next morning. Left jackets, left uh, a bino harness. I had to make sure to tell Cody, I'm like, look, man, I had to leave your spotter up there. Uh, you know, if it's broke, I'll buy it. So anyway, I got it out. The next morning, he was luckily he was able to come help me the next morning and we boned it out and uh, we were able to get it out the rest of it in one trip. But uh, just an incredible hunt, incredible experience, incredible unit. Uh, those elk are incredible animals, man. I put a lot of time and research into to studying these things. Now, am I an expert? Absolutely not. I'm still starting my journey into Western hunting, man. But I will say this without a shadow of a doubt. I put in a shit ton of effort learning the ecology, biology, so on and so forth of these animals. I put in a lot of time and, and it's been paying dividends for me. Uh, so I think that's a big part of it. Put as much time as you can in learning the animal, learning how to use the land to get to those animals. But uh Anyway, got him killed, super fired up about it. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, that, that's probably my favorite hunting memory ever, I, I would have to think, is is putting that elk on the ground. You know, because it's so much went into that. You know, from from a physical standpoint, a mental standpoint, it it, it was a lot. Uh, and, and when I finally got him down, I mean, it was just uh, an incredible feeling. But, uh, you know, I, a lot of... Lot of uh, a lot of effort went into it, a lot of research, a lot of boot miles, uh, and just a lot of a lot of just mental toughness from the standpoint of being sick, you know, uh, just continuing on and, and continuing to hunt, you know, fighting through rough weather. Yeah, it was windy. Yeah, it was snowy. Uh, but you just got to hunt, man. If you want it that bad, you just got to go. Because uh, the elk don't really care, all right? They're going to be somewhere. You just got to go find them. But big thanks to Cody for even letting me know about that special access permit. You know, I didn't even know it existed, and he, he was the one that told me about it. So big thanks to him for not only that, but uh, for helping me pack out. So uh, anyways, guys, you know, that that's my elk story. Again, that is a memory that's going to be burned in my head forever. Uh, so I hope you guys like that one. And, uh, you know, this is kind of some of the stuff that you can expect moving forward from retired to hunt. Going to be a lot of cool adventures. And just know these stories are just a tip, man. I got all kind of stuff coming up. I got a spear fishing trip in a couple weeks. Elk season's coming up. Antelope's coming up. Whitetail, muley, all that. Fired up. 
come with me. I'm going to be doing a lot of podcasts from the field, so I'll be in the woods recording, you know, and I'll be able to come into town and drop off an episode so you guys can enjoy it. But, uh, you know, you'll, it's going to be kind of as it happens, so it's going to be still raw and the emotions are still going to be there. It should be a really cool deal. So if you like what you heard, come back next week. If you didn't, so be it. Uh, but I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, this is my first stab at podcasting. So from a podcast standpoint, I don't really know shit from soup. So I'm sure the audio is going to be rough, but uh, I can promise you it'll get better. Because I am doing the editing myself, so on and so forth. Maybe I'll have to outsource for the editing. But if I can do it myself, I'm going to do it myself. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me. Like I said, if you like what you heard, come back next week. Because uh, there's a lot of stuff to come, guys. Seriously. But uh, with that being said, I appreciate you guys giving me a listen. Come back next week because there's a lot coming down the pipe. Appreciate you guys. <laughs>